listening to the Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown. Welcome back to another great edition of the Cross-Border Interviews with Christopher Brown. I am your host, Christopher Brown, and today I am honored and pleased to have our guest on. He is currently in the running to be the nominee for the Alberta NDP in the provincial riding of Camrose for the upcoming 2023 general election, or if Jason Kenney calls it earlier, whenever that election may happen. But he is in the uh, running to it. Uh, he is running against two other candidates, and that is Wyatt Tanton. Thank you so much for doing this, Wyatt. Greatly appreciate it, as always. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a, I'm a fan of the show, and I'm excited to be part of it. Uh, so, Wyatt, if you're a fan of the show, you know the very <laughs> first question I'm going to ask any political candidate that is running for any office. Where's your sense of duty to serve come from? Oh, I totally didn't expect this one. Just let me think about it for a sec. Uh, <laughs> for me, uh, it really comes from a sense of like, I've gotten a lot of legs up and I feel like I have uh, an obligation and a responsibility to send the elevator back down, which sounds cliche, I know, but it is really true. Like I, you know, was very fortunate to have parents who were successful in life, which meant that I got a lot of opportunities to pursue kind of whatever my passions were. I got to really just whatever I wanted to explore, I got the opportunity to do it. And that's taught me a lot about the world. It's given me a lot of educational opportunities, a lot of uh, sort of opportunities to move forward in life. And kind of from a young age, I've really felt like that is something that, especially where I feel like I've gotten kind of a bit of an unfair advantage or a bit more success than maybe I, you know, where hard work didn't get me everywhere, where, you know, luck and other factors got me where I was. I felt like I had an obligation to try and do what I could to make sure that, that wasn't a luck-based thing because... You know, it, it, there's a lot of factors, especially when it comes to things like education and job opportunities and things like that, where, you know, connections go a lot further than they should. And so for me, it was really a matter of how can I best advocate to make sure those things change and are better? And, you know, where are my skills most suited? And I felt like this kind of the political realm was where that would be best put into place. As a kid, I was told a lot that I'd make a great lawyer or politician, which depending on how you feel about lawyers or politicians, you know, compliment or not. But uh, yeah, I, I, for me, that's kind of like the baseline level and specifically about advocating you know, for my community, for the people who I grew up around. Like, I'm very lucky that my constituency uh, that I'm running to be the nominee and it like encompasses basically my entire childhood. If it didn't cut out the city or the community of Donelda, it'd be basically everywhere I spent the first 15 years of my life. Uh, so yeah, like it, it's really, for me, it's first and foremost about a sense of obligation to my community and sort of paying back what I was given. So before we get into some of the issues that are happening there on the ground in Camrose, the provincial mm -hmm. riding of Camrose, I want to talk a little bit more about you a bit. You did say that uh, uh, when growing up, people said that you should be a lawyer or a politician. Was politics discussed in your household? Was it a conversation around the dinner table that you remember having? Or did you come into politics on your own? I, <laughs> I kind of dragged my family kicking and screaming a little bit into it in some ways. Like my parents were never, uh, I wouldn't say that they were apathetic, but they were definitely kind of in that position of like, we don't want to have a fight about this, especially, you know, I'm the oldest of four siblings. My youngest sibling is nine years younger than me. Uh, so, you know, when I'm 13, 14 years old, starting to be a real pain in the butt about this stuff, you know, it's not much fun to discuss at the dinner table when my five-year-old sister is there and can't really participate. Um, and plus, you know, it, was something that could lead into fights pretty easily and we didn't want that sort of thing but as i've gotten older as my whole family has gotten older we've become a very much more political family at least uh 
I, I sort of describe my family as just a collection of people who are, you know, unstoppable forces meeting immovable objects. So the discourse can be a little bit tense in our family sometimes, but it's always really good. And it's meant that we, you know, we get more political sort of by discussion with each other. And uh, yeah, like after 2015, like that was such a, a turning point, I think for a lot of Albertans in particular, because it seemed like everything changed all at once, you know, provincial government changed, then the federal government changed, then whatever, however you describe what happened in the United States and like sort of the general chaos of the last few years, excuse me, um, really, I think like inspired my parents and just in general, a lot of Albertans to get more active. And then, you know, that sort of, I know for my mom, she ran in the 2019 provincial election as an independent candidate because she felt like, you know, rural issues weren't being discussed enough, like they needed to be brought up more. And uh, personally, I think that she should have won the election, but obviously I'm a little bit biased there. But, uh, but yeah, like that, and now, you know, my family is very much so a group of people who have gone to that point of discussing around the dinner table. But I think, you know, similar to a lot of families in rural Alberta, it almost felt like it wasn't worth it because it was so, so set in stone for so long. So before I ask the follow-up question of that, I have to ask the million-dollar question. As you supported her in 2019 provincial election, as an independent, is she supporting you in the 2023 nomination here? Yeah, she's actually my CFO. So uh, she's, uh, yeah, she's always been very supportive. And like, it wasn't, I don't want to say that she ran like because of specific opposition to the NDP or anything. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't that sort of thing. And in some ways it allowed her a little bit of freedom to open the path for the NDP. Like I know, uh, having, like when I spoke to the former NDP candidate, uh, Morgan Bamford, who was a really nice guy, he's mentioned since the election that, you know, when she would take a very unapologetic stance on something like a GSA, that kind of, you know, it shifted the window and made it a little bit easier for him to come in with, I guess, a more moderate position that was still, still affirmative, but didn't seem quite as radical when, you know, Bonnie Tanton is showing up there guns blazing and, you know, take no prisoners. <laughs> You have announced, you announced earlier in February, I actually think, yeah, late in February, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm getting my timeline yeah. correct here, that you were seeking the nomination for the Alberta NDP in the writing of cameras. So I've got to ask uh, you this question, and I think you're prepared for it. And then if you're not, I think you can talk, speak on your feet. But why the Alberta NDP? What is it about it, them, that drew you to the party? Yeah, so this is, I mean... <laughs> Obviously, it's a question that comes up occasionally. Like I've had it from you know everyone from a couple of interviews I've done to like family members who are like really. But for me, for me, it's really like I'm a massive politics nerd. Like to an extent that it's a little bit embarrassing how much I've you know spent, how much time I've spent on Wikipedia, like just finding sources about things to read about the parties, like everything from past like official colors and logos that parties use to like their old historic roots. That's always super interesting to me. So when I when I was considering going into politics, I definitely was like. You know, looking into every party, every bit of information I could find, like reading party constitutions where I could find them. For me, like I have a pretty, like just going from a baseline, you know, political values position. It was uh, some parties I would say were off limits pretty quickly. I was never going to be a was never going to be a wild roser or a UCP. -er. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I would have been necessarily the most compatible with those parties, but like uh, when it came to deciding on the NDP specifically, I looked at the values that we you know held in our platform that we ran on in 2015 and 2019 in particular, uh, the values that we've fought for since the election uh, and sort of the, the core values that are in the party constitution ultimately, the things that we are, you know, are supposed to hold as core tenets. 
So what is that? What is that for you? What were the core values that you thought, okay, this is the party that best represents me? Because I think there's a there's a lot of political division in our time right now. And I hate to say it, but we 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 all see Twitter, we all see social media, and we all see how divisive things are right now. So what are those core beliefs that you went and you said, okay, I've looked at all the parties, these are the beliefs that I have, and they match up to this party. Uh, I mean. I know about Twitter, I'm a little bit of an instigator there myself, you know, <laughs> gotta have, gotta find your enjoyment somewhere in the world. But no, uh, for me, it was like, it was about to focus on working class people ultimately. And I, I think that especially like, again, the historical sort of perspective on it was that, you know, the NDP comes from the CCF, which was a coalition that involved, you know, rural people very heavily and agricultural workers and farmers very heavily. And even going back to the UFA before they were a gas station, uh, those sort of origins of rural working class people. And to me, that was a really important thing because I think that that's something that has been lost, especially under successive PC governments and now the UCP where everything is centered around the big cities. And so when I was looking at the party values, the constitution, the policies that we put forward, to me, it was that commitment to fighting for those working class people in rural communities. And, you know, I think sometimes the image of the party has not always appeared that way. It's it, sometimes has a bit more of a reputation of being an urban party, but I do think that those those core tenets have never gone away. And I think that that's what's really important to me about that. No, and I appreciate that. Um, putting your name forward is a daunting task in itself, but you've decided to put your name forward. And I wanna know what are the issues that made you decide, I'm the best person to put my name forward for this role? There are two other people in the race and you're in the nomination battle before you even get to the election. So what are the issues that you will bring forward? And I'm not trying to say attack your fellow candidates, but I'm saying what sets you apart from your fellow candidates? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess sort of first of all, I will say like, you know, our, like I've been in very open contact with the other nomination candidates. Like we've been in discussion throughout this whole process. And like from day one, before we even were all confirmed, we were all saying, you know, this is going to be civil. This is going to be like, you know, we're focused on a positive vision for the future. We're not, you know, we don't want to be taking digs. We've seen that actually <laughs> the UCP nomination contest in cameras has kicked off. Uh, and the, in the very first announcement that the nomination candidate made, he was talking about how he won't show up just for photo shoots. He'll be there for it all. And it's like, well, glad to see you're getting off to that United conservative start. But especially uh, but no, United like, part of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I wouldn't say that that's a strength of the UCPs, but I mean, you know, props to them for at least having the, the guts to keep that in the name. But uh, yeah, so I think um, when it comes to what I bring to the table, I think what's really important is that I am a younger person. And I think that is an important perspective to have because, you know, I think I, I like to describe myself as having sort of the being in the right, like in the sweet spot of, you know, being young enough to be optimistic about a better future, young enough to believe in those, you know, in the goodness of humanity is hard as can be to believe in that sometimes these days. Uh, but tempering that with experience, tempering that with, you know, lived experience with education, with an understanding of politics. And to me, that's an essential part of this, especially coming from rural Alberta, where the opportunities are drying up faster and faster for young people, whether that's getting access to housing, whether that's getting access to an education, a career, a lot of those things have disappeared more and more. And I, you know, I grew up in the Klein era. I was born in 98. So a lot of my education was defined by those cuts that he made. And working in schools today as an EA, I see a lot of those same problems coming back to roost. You know, I work, uh, one of the classes I work with recently has been a, uh, 
uh, welding class where they've got nearly 30 kids sometimes trying to work in a shop that was built for 15 to 20. And so, yeah, for me, it's like that youth perspective is one of the most important parts to me. I think that we need to have those voices in government because in politics as an industry, we're being 30, like Pierre Polyevre is being treated as a youthful voice, despite the fact that I'm pretty sure he got involved in politics before I was born. Uh, and yeah, like I, I just, I think that's probably one of the most distinguishing things uh, as far as policy positions. I focus really heavily on education and, uh, you know, what can be done to enable rural students in particular, like uh, when the ADLC, the Alberta Distance Learning Center was cut, uh, or 2020, I believe, right, right around when the pandemic started, right around when we could have used it. Uh, like that was something that hit rural students incredibly hard because getting access to those courses that you need for prerequisites, especially for more complex programs is genuinely hard. And like, you know, in cameras, it's one thing, but this constituency includes everything that's hard to see, to Toefield, to Bashaw, to Forest. Like there's a lot of real small communities here. And a lot of those kids, you know, they have to start planning out their high school careers four years in advance. Like, you know, they start grade nine, they have to have everything planned out to grade 12 so they know what they can take. And yeah, for me, that focus and that priority and that perspective is what I think I bring to this differently than my opponents. Plus I also grew up here, you know, I know what it's like to be a kid in this community and then transition to being an adult here. Uh, which for you to say you're an adult makes me feel really, really, really old right now. So thanks for making me feel <laughs> a lot older than I am. <laughs> I mean, you know, born in the, the at the, what is it, the most, the, in 1998. So uh, the, the far distant past for me. Exactly. Um, I want to talk about the issues now because you as the candidate have a set of ideas of what the issues are that are facing the riding. And the great thing about this show is we talk about your issues, but we also talk about the issues that you're hearing at the doorstep. So I want to know from you, how are they different? When you started this process, you thought you probably thought to yourself, I know what the issues that are going to, I'm going to hear from the membership, from the people I'm door knocking with. But when you get out there, you hear something completely different because you never prepare for every single scenario. So how has your nomination period so far been? And what are you hearing from the people that you're actually trying to pitch yourself to so they will vote for you? Uh, so yeah, I have a little bit of an advantage in this because I did run municipally in the uh, municipal elections last fall. So I've had a, a little bit of experience at the doors more recently. Uh, so that's helped me out a little bit in terms of making sure I'm kind of on base with people. But, you know, the big things for people that I've heard from is, I mean, it, nothing that's really going to surprise people, you know, cost of living, uh, healthcare, education, like, you know, the the state of those things is really important, particularly in cameras. One of the big things for us is Augustana campus uh, as a campus of uh, the University of Alberta, which is in a real uh, tenuous position in terms of having access to financing. Like there are real concerns that we might not have that campus in a few years because of the way that post-secondary has gone. And so like that has been a huge concern amongst members and just the general community, um, as well as just things like, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to move forward? From this point in time because obviously like i don't think it's particularly con or uh, controversial to say that the ucp government has not has been a controversial one uh, i think that they've uh i, I don't want to spend the entire time just ragging on them but i do think like i mean you know under the stewardship of premier jason kenny the ndp is polling higher than it ever has and, and i think that that sort of is indicative of the fact that we are in some strange times politically here and you know we've seen the the demonstrations over or the the convoy, the blockade, all that stuff that was going on 
it's very clear that we're in a divided point in time. And so one of the things that I get asked about a lot is, you know, what is the NDP going to do to try and bring some unity? Like, you know, there will come a time post COVID, there will come a time where we have to just move forward. And how are we going to bring people together when they've been so, so at odds with each other? And that one to me is interesting because it is such a hard question to answer. You know, there's a lot, a lot of these divisions are things that stewed under the surface in Alberta for a long time, I think politically, because our system was so stagnant and they've all, you know, decades of grievances and anger and frustration are all boiling to the surface. And, you know, how we're going to address that has probably, outside of strict policy things, I think that's been the one that's been asked the most. So when you're going around talking to people and pitching yourself and pitching your campaign, and we won't try to be the pick on the UCP in this uh, this episode, because uh, I'm going to have members of the UCP on here and shortly, so I don't want to be accused of being one way or the other. And I just want to know the facts from what you're hearing. How do you address those? How do you address those issues that you talked about? Cost of living, finance, unity at the door. So let's talk about the cost of living because we are seeing uh, costs go up. We are seeing gas prices skyrocket right now. It's almost closing at $2 a, a gallon. How do we address that? How do you as the elected representative for the people of Camrose in 2023 start addressing those issues? Yeah, so I will say the cost of living one in particular, like that's something that is such a, you know, it's one of those things we're living rural, everything just gets that a little bit more expensive, whether it's groceries, whether it's access to basic facilities, you know, you have to own a car, you probably have to own two if you have a two parent household with kids, you know, there's not transit, the housing, like housing in particular in our area is out of control, like rents here are as high or higher than they were when I lived in Montreal, you know, living walking distance from McGill is cheaper than living basically anywhere in Canberra, which is insane. And it's sort of, it, it has to address sort of all of these different facets where, you know, we address housing, you know, how do we, how do we change the housing that's available? How do we make it actually affordable and accessible and something that people can reliably get access to without it taking up their entire paycheck every month? Um, it's about addressing utilities, in particular electricity and gas. Like that's been one of the big ones that we've, uh, that the party has been talking about and has obviously affected everyone as, you know, prices just keep getting higher and higher. Uh, as well as stuff like, you know, broadband. That's been one of the big things that the NDP has really listened to its rural membership on. Like we've, especially with the pandemic, you know, I've, I've made the joke every caucus meeting I've been to, every sort of party thing where I'm like, you know, every every Zoom meeting becomes a rural broadband meeting if you leave it for long enough right now. Uh, and the party's really listened on that and they're taking steps to figure out what we're going to do policy-wise to address that sort of thing. And, you know, bringing public services up to par so that they can be used to, help people you know whether that's a transit option that allows people especially in the smaller communities access to the bigger hubs uh we used to have the cameras connector which was a bus line that went you know up to edmonton from i believe it was either sedgwick or uh lockheed somewhere in flagstaff county was sort of its endpoint, i think uh and that would help get you know people who needed it access to the city for medical care for uh for school for work whatever they might need uh and focusing on services like that you know they're not the the sexy big dramatic topics but you know those things are the ones that nickel and dime you down until at the end of the month you don't have money left in the bank account and then and then a couple of the big things things like the child care program that we want to bring in like those sorts of like it, cost of living it's one of those things that's you know everyone has that same issue because it's you know it affects everyone but the solution is such a multifaceted thing and not not every element of it will affect everyone equally, but all the elements together will help everyone. Um, 
apologies for rambling if i do i have the absolute worst is going on and on and on which i but, love uh, because and i if anyone's <laughs> ever listened i would never interrupt anyone unless i feel like there's a actual moment when you stop talking but i want to yeah. talk about unity here for a second as well because you, mm-hmm. you mentioned that was one of the issues that you're hearing at the door is how do we come together after this how do we come together after the pandemic how do we get together and actually work together now, if elected in 2023 or in the next election, if you win the nomination and win the election, you will have to represent the entire riding of cameras. Now, I've said this to many other candidates and I've always got the canned answer, but I want, I want to hear from you. How do you represent everyone? How would you, as the MLA for cameras, represent your entire riding? Because you have to represent the people who voted against you and the people who voted for you. So how do you do that? I think that the first step is a recognition of the fact that it's an unbelievable privilege to have that position and recognize that that is not a position you're owed. I think like that obviously doesn't have to do with engagement so much, but it really has to do, I think, with your mentality towards it. And that'll reflect in everything else. You know, I think everyone has heard of a politician who thinks they're too good to meet with constituents or something like that. And I take the position that like, you know, if I was lucky enough to be elected out here, that is a, you know, uh, an unbelievable amount of privilege that I have and people are giving a real vote of confidence they're stepping out of their comfort zone to do that and I have no obligation to work for them and I think you know that has to involve making yourself publicly available as much as possible you know being meeting people where they're at like Camrose has a pretty the biggest singular population center is the city of Camrose but that's kind of on the like western border excuse me and you know it extends about an hour hour and a half out east an hour north an hour south like it it extends a long way so I think that a really important part is making sure that you're in those areas, you're going to them where they're at, and you're kind of, you're willing to, to take the hits, you know, especially with the NDP in rural Alberta, there are a lot of people who have grievances with the party. And I think a big part of it has to be that you're willing to go to them and listen and, you know, not just get defensive, not just avoid the crowds that might not be favorable to you, but go out there and say, look, yeah, like I, you know, uh, one of the discussions I've had with people who don't agree with the party has been about, you know, Bill Six from back in the day, the 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 fun discourse that just won't die. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I've met with a lot of people and they're like, I have a bone to pick with you about this. And I'm like, look, I, like I wasn't the MLA, but like, absolutely. Like if, like, I want to hear what you have to say about this. You don't need to be super polite, like, you know, within boundaries, obviously, but like you, you have to be willing to listen to people who are angry and you have to be willing to let people be angry about these things because people have a right to be angry about things that affect them even if you know regardless of how you feel about that anger you still have to give them that that venue that respect and that dignity to listen to them to hear them and to to take it into consideration and so i think for me those two el- or those elements of it are really kind of the fundamental parts Come celebrate Calgary's favorite cocktail. Calgary Caesar Fest is taking place on May 19th and 20th right here in the birthplace of Canada's official national cocktail. As listeners and viewers of the cross-border interviews with Chris Brown, you will receive 20% off your tickets when you use the promo code CBI Caesars. That's C-B-I Caesars, all one word. Just visit calgaryceasarfest.com and get your tickets today. Like, or sorry, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, so you talk about privilege, about having the privilege to serve. Now, if elected, you will have to be there to represent your constituents. And I say that with the idea that you are there to represent the people who have voted for you and who haven't voted for you. Sometimes that may go against what you believe in. The people of your constituents are your boss in some sense because they're the ones who elect you and they will reelect you if they think you've done a good job. How do you balance your, your opinions and your desires and your needs and your uh, policies against what your constituents want? Because no, you're not going to align with every single person and you will have to make some tough choices where it may upset people and they might be angry at you. So how do you balance that? And how have you done that in the past where you can say, I've made a decision, it may not be for the best, but it's for the good of the majority of the people. Yeah, and like that is sort of one of the eternal conundrums of any politician who's really concerned about representing people is, you know, where do you draw the line? Because, you know, if you're like, you know, with me, what you see is what you get. My values do not change based on, you know, what race I'm running in, like the same values I ran in municipally are the ones I'm running on now. Like they're, it, I keep it consistent throughout, but there are always going to be times where, you know, someone may, like someone who may have voted for me, let's say an issue comes up where I vote, you know, keeping my values consistent, but they didn't think that that would maybe be how the values would be maintained or whatever else. And I think a big part of that is, you know, if you're, if you're at that point where people are furious at you at your office, feeling like you didn't listen, you've already failed. You need to be building that trust throughout the entire time you're there, you know, before the big controversial bills come up. That's why I was sort of saying, you know, you have to be in every single community. You have to be out there because, you know, it's one of those things where you need to, people need to have trust in you and say, look, I might not agree with this decision, but I'm going to give him a chance because he's clear, like he's shown he cares. Like he's shown he is listening. So he didn't just, you know, pull us out of his ass, do whatever he wanted to do. Pardon my French. Uh, but I, I think that that is really the most important part of it, first and foremost, and making sure people feel represented is that, you know, I will be consistent to the values that I run on. I will be consistent to the values of the, you know, the, the party that people are electing me to be a part of, which is one of the, the fun things about our electoral system is, you know, trying to balance all of these different obligations that you have and all these sort of different, you know, you don't want to say, oh, someone voted for me, just me, the individual. So whatever I say goes, like my values are the universal ones. Uh, and you also don't want to say, you know, whatever the party says goes because the party, you know, people voted for the party banner. Like it's one of those not fun balances to try and strike, but it's, uh, I think the most important part of it is definitely like you have to build that trust that people feel like whether they agree or disagree with you, that you're making that decision with an aim towards their best interests and that you're willing to listen to them if you feel, if they feel like they haven't been represented properly. Now, you've talked about uh, getting out there, speaking with your constituents. You're in the nomination battle right now, a nomination battle uh, election that is expected to happen or will happen on April 3rd of this year. So literally less than a month away from now. Are you, out, uh, are you out knocking on doors? Are you out actually engaging with the other communities outside of the uh, cameras where you live? Like you talk about how vast cameras riding is. I can imagine in a short period of time to get to all the small communities to try to hit every door is hard. So how are you engaging with residents in this sort of post pandemic, still pandemic world that we currently reside in? Yeah, so uh, I can't say that, you know, COVID is real and it is still real. I uh, 
have not been as active at the doors as I would have liked because I actually uh, had a positive test last week, which has been a real fun start to the campaign, I'll say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I haven't been out on the doors as much like at all yet because obviously, you know, especially wanting to be extra safe, you know, like there was the five day time limit, but I, you know, have maintained it throughout because I wanted to make sure, you know, double, triple, quadruple check, make sure I'm safe, you know, burning through my rapid tests, like making sure that I've got enough negative ones that I could fill a landfill with them at this point. Um, but yeah, I, so I've mostly been relying on digital engagement to reach out to, you know, existing members, people who I, you know, family members, friends who I can sell a membership to, which is the, the most fun part of this whole thing is trying to convince your family members to part with $10 and be like, hi, I know we haven't talked for a couple of months. Do you have some money? <laughs> Uh, but I was really hoping that the nomination contest would happen a couple months later, so it would be my birthday, and I could say, for my birthday, buy a membership, and that would be a present to me. Um, but no, so since, like, I, I've been really focusing on social media engagement while I've been in the COVID isolation period, which has meant, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email, uh, a website, like, whatever I can do to make the connection with people and meet them where they're at, and that's included, you know, going to Facebook groups that are within our constituency, sort of big and small, just saying like, hey, I'm running, if you're interested, you know, here's how you can contact me, here's the, every single platform I'm on, come bother me, come let me know your feelings. And um, yeah, I do have a plan to get out to the doors, I'm hoping to organize some more, you know, still socially, or like, uh, you know, COVID safe, responsible sort of gatherings uh, where I can, especially uh, in smaller communities where it's a little bit easier to avoid a crowd forming. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, are you, are you, are you getting the feedback that you thought you would? Because traditionally in nomination races, you, you try to, you, like you said, you pitch to your family, you pitch to your neighbors, you pitch to people that you want, you need to talk to. But when you're going on these social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and talking to these community groups, are people actually engaged? Because I, I, I always find it fascinating during non-election periods, and I, I don't mean that nominations aren't elections, they are, but unless yeah. it's an actual election election where you have a ballot and you everyone goes vote, I find that the uh, feedback and the actual engagement isn't as high. Are you actually finding that the people of Camrose are engaged in politics, even outside the traditional uh, election period? Yeah, I, like I... I think that that's actually what's kind of interesting to me is that there's been a lot of response that's sort of on par or greater than the municipal election even where people like when I announced I had a lot of people who were very excited for me you know some people who are family members and friends and stuff like that but other people were just you know people who had liked my municipal campaign and were like that's very exciting or like complete strangers like people were uh in my announcements like people were sharing them and they were tagging their friends in them and their friend uh one person said like you know this is the best news i've heard all week and i was like oh that's super sweet but people are like i think people are genuinely excited and i think it's been especially interesting because you know this is cameras uh people did not expect a whole lot of ndp engagement they certainly did not expect three candidates like i saw uh dave cornoyer uh when he was like, because he tweets the nomination announcements and he made a joke at one point where he was like, after the third candidate declared, he was like, I never really thought I would tweet the sentence, the third candidate declares for Canada's MVP. And so to some extent, I think almost the novelty of the idea of this being a contested thing where we're all fighting for it has gotten a little bit of extra interest in it. But yeah, people are engaged. I think people like, 
our community is kind of a really unique one in a lot of ways. Like we have such a weird blend of rural and urban mentalities out here. You know, like we're a university town, but we're also very agriculture centric. We have a lot of people who are making their money in public service jobs, like healthcare and education, but also a lot of people who have their jobs in oil and gas and stuff like that, who live here, uh, maybe when they're not working on the rigs. And so it's such a, it's such an interesting blend of people. And I think that dynamic has made people a lot more actively engaged. You know, everyone has a connection to some institution that's being affected by politics. You know, almost everyone knows a nurse, knows a teacher, knows a student at Augustana or a staff member at Augustana. Like it's, it's impossible to avoid the impacts of it in a way that it might've previously been, especially with social media constantly bringing them up. And so, yeah, people are, people are pretty engaged and they're pretty open-minded to listening and hearing you out and really taking it seriously. And that, that's been super encouraging. Now we are closing on the 40 minute mark and I have a few last questions before we uh, wrap up here, uh, Wyatt. And I want to talk about you now because we've talked about the issues. We've talked about what you're hearing at the store step. We talked about your upbringing, but I want to talk about why you, why should you be the next NDP candidate for the riding of Camrose? Uh, I think there's a lot of people, like you said, there's three of you running. Uh, we talked about your youth, but I want to give you a two-minute platform. Imagine this is your campaign pitch where you have to talk to the membership who are listening right now in cameras. Why should they, A, take out a membership in the Alberta NDP, and B, vote for you on April 3rd to be that candidate? My favorite subject, myself. <laughs> I'm a true politician. I've learned narcissism real quick. Uh, but no, I think the reason why someone should take out a membership and vote in this is because it is an essential part of the democratic process to have this nomination. And it's a part that often people don't get much choice in. You know, this is something that's often not publicized as much. It's often like, you know, there's a lot of acclamations that happen in politics. And I think right now is a really unique opportunity for the people of this constituency to say, this is my vision for the cameras NDP. This is what I think you know, if I got to choose, this is what the NDP would look like in our community. And that's a, excuse me, a rare decision, but it's an important decision to make, especially because as the polling indicates, the NDP is likely to form government next time. And I think that we need to, like, who will be our voice in government is not a decision that just happens on election day. It's a decision that has to happen leading up to it. And the nomination contests are a huge part of it. Why they should vote for me specifically in it and why they should buy a membership on my behalf or donate or whatever else, is because I think I do bring a unique voice to this discussion. I think I, like first and foremost, am passionate about the community. Like, I, it's hard to even explain how much it really does mean everything to me to be in cameras. You know, when I first was telling family members and relatives that I was even considering it, they were like, you know, why not run somewhere where you have a better chance of winning? Why not, you know, you could move to Edmonton and that would probably be better for you. Like you could, you know, run at Edmonton Southwest where the NDP doesn't have an MLA right now, or you could replace someone who thinks retiring. But for me, it's always been about cameras. It's not about it being, you know, an easy job or a likely one. Like I'm not in it just to be an MLA. I'm in it very specifically for this community. You know, the place it's hard to it's hard to go too into it without rambling too much. And I know you said two minutes. I think we're technically past two minutes already on this. No, part, no, but... understandable. But I I wanted I wanted <laughs> yeah. to know because it is a big decision because they have to make the best, uh, the, the the membership of the riding have to make the best decision. So I thank you for talking about that and being open about it. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about what happens after April 3rd. 
So you become the nominee for the Alberta NDP. What's priority one for you then? Because you now have, you, you have the banner, you're endorsed by the party, you, you start, I'm assuming you start raising funds, but what is priority number one for you? Priority number one for me is definitely to, I'm trying to even think about kind of how I would describe it, but like hitting the ground running in every community, first of all, like I, I'm very lucky that because, you know, I work in schools, my work day ends at about 3.30 at the latest every day. I have weekends off. It's lovely. Working in a school has been has been glorious. Uh, and so for me, that means, you know, I have the privilege of having that spare time and being able to say, look, you know, four o'clock every day, I'm going to be doing something towards this as much as I can. I also, I am also a full-time student, which means there's a lot going on at once. Campaign period is rough for me. I have poor, poor timing, but, uh, <laughs> but no, like I'll, I, my plan is to, like, if I'm fortunate enough to win after I'm done sending out thank you cards to people, it'll be hitting the doors in every community in our constituency. Like I, want to be out in you know Sedgwick, Lougheed, Killam, uh, Ball, like everywhere. Like I, I want to make sure that, you know, within a few months, every single person in the constituency knows who they can contact if they want to know more, uh, who to reach out to. Um, fundraising is obviously a really important part of the process, but to me, to me, that's something that this the constituency association and the party themselves are best at doing. You know, they have the best networks, they're the best at sort of centralizing that. I think as the nomination candidate, the responsibility is about making the connection, about giving people a face to, like being able to put a name to a face and a face to a party and give them an idea of what their options really are. And so for me, that would be my number one priority is letting people know what their choices are and presenting a positive vision towards the future. I think that that has to be like, you know, whether that's from the perspective of literal policy, you know, what is our policy going to be on healthcare, on education, on all these things, um, but also, in presenting a, uh, a vision of what things could be when, if with a better MLA, you know, what, what does it look like if there's an MLA who's holding town halls regularly, who's showing up in every community, who's doing these things, you know, who is, who is walking the walk and demonstrating the level of commitment that they are gonna bring to it if they win. To me, I think that that's sort of, that's where I would go with it right out of the gate. And yeah, focus, focusing on building those connections and, you know, making sure that even for people who might not immediately agree with me, that they at least, that everyone in the constituency who, you know, is going to have any sort of a voice or a vote in this sort of a, in the next coming election uh, knows, you know, can, can make the decision with full knowledge as to who I am and whether they vote for me or against me, at least they know me. Now, you, you, you spoke a little bit about the UCP and how they have a, a contestant nomination coming up. And I know we shouldn't talk about the UCP because it's about you and the nomination, but I want to know how, when you're outdoor knocking, when you're talking to people, if you are the nominee, what are you hearing about the UCP? Are people upset in the communities about what the UCP have done? Because we are seeing a lot of UCP MLAs being challenged for their own nomination. Does that tell you, like we talked about a unified party, does that give you hope that people are willing to take a serious look at the NDP in this coming election? I think it does. I think, I mean, I have my own feeling like, um, I have strong feelings about my UCP MLA that I will restrain myself on. Uh, during the 2019 election, she told me I was not a valuable use of her time. And I'm gonna make her eat those words in the 2023 forums. But uh, if she doesn't happen to be the nominee, if the other candidate who so far has declared does, um, best of luck to him. Uh, he'll need it if I'm the candidate. But uh, yeah, no, like um, joking aside, I think the discussion from a lot of people has just been that they feel like they're not listened to. 
the UCP as a party is so focused on Jason Kenny and on, you know, what is what is best for Jason Kenny's career? What's best for Jason Kenny's future? Like that has been so much of the dominating discussion within that party. And it, it's affected our local constituency too. You know, our MLA doesn't listen to us. She has gone out of her way to slander people in local papers when there have been protesters outside of her office, you know, calling, like accusing them of being NDP, like astroturfed protesters who were just, you know, who hate the economy. They're, they're socialists who hate the economy. Like they don't listen to them. Uh, like just absolutely absurd stuff. And she is not responsive to community members when they try and talk to her. She's pretty open about the fact that she's really just in it for whatever Jason Kenney says. Like she literally sent me a message during the election saying, whatever Jason Kenney says, I agree. Uh, and so there's there's a lot of frustration about the UCP in general, obviously in cameras, you know, cameras is not unique from the rest of the province, but there's also a lot of frustration with our local representation and with the feeling that we haven't, we haven't had somebody who's primarily interested in our community. We've had somebody who's primarily interested in the party and that that is a particular point of frustration for them. And they, you know, understandably. It sounds like a good reason to get involved in politics and put your name forward. If you are hearing what you're telling me you're hearing, then I would have put my name forward as well. Um, I, I want to ask one last question, then we're going to wrap up here because you have not pitched your social media. How can people get in contact? How can people sign up? How can people take out a membership so they could potentially vote for you in the upcoming April 3rd nomination? Uh all right. So I have all of my social media set up. I'm on, sorry, that sounded really passive aggressive. I didn't mean for it to. I'm just <laughs> trying to rack my brain really quickly. And I'm like, wait, the handle is what it is, right? Yes. Okay, good. Um, but no, so if someone's interested in following me on social media, on Facebook, the page is uh, Wyatt Tanton for the cameras NDP nomination. Uh, on Twitter, the handle is at Wyatt Tanton, W-Y-A-T-T-T-A-N-T-O-N. Uh, it's the same handle on Instagram if someone wants to follow me there. And I believe on TikTok as well. Uh, if you want to see old videos from my municipal campaign. And then uh, my website is just wyattanton.com, W-Y-A-T-T-T-A-N-T-O-N.com. From there, you can find information about how to donate, but also how to sign up for a membership, you know, doing it through the Alberta Party or the Alberta NDP's website, not the Alberta Party's website, different thing, not selling their memberships lately. Uh, But you can find information on how to sign up for an Alberta NDP membership uh, through my website on the memberships tab. Uh, That includes how to sign up by mail, uh, through the website, through everywhere. Um, and uh, I think that's about it in terms of ways to find me. You can also email me at contact at wyattanton.com if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. Uh, I'm very responsive because I'm practically surgically attached to my phone, so I'll get back to you as quickly as I can on that stuff. Uh, you are a uh, young adult. Of course, you're attached to your phone. <laughs> I get accused <laughs> of that by my husband all the time. Um, Wyatt, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Uh, for everyone who's listened to this before, you know my spiel that I'm about to say. Um, links to Wyatt's information. Scroll down. Scroll down on YouTube. Hopefully by this time when we release this, we'll be out of YouTube jail from our previous incident that we had with a former guest. Uh, scroll down and you can put your uh, you can click on the social media links, Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, not TikTok, because I do not know how to link that. And I just do not understand it. I'm I'm of the age where I am so far not hip, as the kids would call it these days. The His website and his email address are there as well. Reach out. 
reach out if you want to get involved, reach out if you want to learn more, because we get, we, we've talked for 50 minutes and I can tell you that we have barely covered, we've probably scratched the surface on what the issues are in cameras. And if you want to ask a direct question, reach out to the people who are running, because these are the people who will potentially represent you and get involved. I, I hate to say this over and over again. I'm going to be doing a lot of these nominations, why it's my very first one. And we have a lot coming up here, but get involved get involved, learn, get, take out a membership in a party that I know they're $10. I know it's hard right now, but $10 goes a long way and you can dictate how the province is going to potentially be run. Um, Wyatt, thank you so much for doing this. This has been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for hosting. I was very excited when I got your uh, invitation. I've been really, really looking forward to this. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. So for everyone here at the Cross Border Interviews with Christopher Brown, have yourself an excellent rest of your day. And remember, everyone, have a conversation. Uh, as much as I uh, reached out to Wyatt via Twitter, I am not a fan of Twitter and social media. Have a conversation with somebody. Have a Zoom conversation. Go out and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. If you have COVID, just stay at home for at least a few five days until you've got a negative test like Wyatt's doing. Wyatt, thank you so much for doing this. For everyone here at the Crossboard Interview Pod, Infuse with Chris Brown, not the podcast because we've rebranded. Have yourself an excellent rest of your day. And remember, guys, keep talking. Cross-Border Interviews with Chris Brown was produced and edited by Miranda Brown Associates Incorporated. To learn more about us, visit crossborderinterviews.ca.